Hey, listen, we've been talking the last few weeks about um, defending our faith and knowing why we believe what we believe. And uh, I believe as uh, we get uh, towards the end times and as things uh, probably get harder before they get easier, that it will become more and more important for you to be able to defend your faith, for you to know why do you believe what you believe. You know, now many people, they say, well, I believe what I believe because that's what my mom and daddy told me. Or, you know, I grew up at Landmark Baptist Church, and this is what they, this is what they believe, so I just naturally believe what they believe. And we just kind of want to take on whatever we were brought up in. And sometimes we've never investigated ourselves. We've never, and here's the word I use, look at me. You need to take ownership of your faith. Your faith is not your mom and daddy's faith. Your faith is not your grandma and grandpa's faith. Uh, your faith is not even the faith of Landmark Baptist Church. Your faith should be your faith. And in order to take ownership of it, I need to know why I believe what I believe. Amen. I need to read the Bible for myself. I need to come to my own conclusions. And my faith in Christ needs to be centered on me and what I have read and what I have studied and what the Lord has taught me. Amen. Uh, I, my job as the preacher is not to sit here and spoon feed you the gospel every Sunday. My job is to equip the saints. And your job, the Bible says it this way, your job is to study to show yourself approved. Amen. So in other words, you should know why you believe what I believe. I always challenge you. Don't take my word for it. Whatever I'm up here preaching to you, you need to go investigate it for yourself. Take notes. That's why I, one of the reasons I encourage you to take notes or take pictures of the notes is so that you can go back later and you can read those scriptures yourself. If you didn't have time to read all those scriptures, I don't want you to take my word for it. The last thing I would want you to do is to take my word for it. I want you to know and I want you to own it and I want it to be embedded in your heart. All right. So uh, one of the things, and we're, so we're just taking things that are basic tenets of faith and uh, why we believe what we believe. Uh, in the next few weeks, we're going to be doing the Lord's Supper. I'm going to preach on that. Why do we take the Lord's Supper? What does the Lord's Supper mean? Then on June the 27th, we're going to do baptism. The Sunday before that, I'm going to preach on baptism. Why is baptism important? What does it mean? Uh, why, why do we do it? What, it? what do we believe about it? All right. I would say probably it's a good guess that many of you don't know those two things. Why do we take the Lord's Supper? What is it really supposed to mean? Why do we get baptized? What does it really mean? So I want you to know, I want to go over these things of why we do the things we do. Why do we believe what we believe? The one I'm going to talk about today is why do we have trials? Why doesn't the minute we get saved, Jesus just wipe it all away and make everything be downhill and shady from that point on. Now, I have many people that believe they get saved and they think, all right, well, life's going to be easy now. Man, I've given my life to the Lord. The Lord's got my life in his hands. So everything, life's going to be a bowl of cherries and everything's going to be downhill and shady. Uh, how many of you have discovered that to be true? Because <laughs> I want to come live at your house if that came, came true. In fact, I would say this, quite the opposite is true, Right? The minute that you give your heart to Christ, you become an enemy of the devil. You become an enemy of Satan, right? Now, when you were living for the world and you were living for yourself and you were living for your flesh, the devil didn't need to bother with you. 
as somebody told me one time, uh, I believe it was Brother Herman Kramer when he was here for revival, he said, the devil doesn't have to break in a house that don't have nothing. Amen. So the devil didn't need to break in. He didn't need to have steal anything from your house because you didn't have nothing. But the minute that you asked Christ into your heart, you became full of the treasure of God. Amen. And now the, the enemy has a reason to break in and to steal, kill, and destroy. Amen. So now you have this giant target on your back. You ever, you ever feel like that? Have, have you ever felt like the devil just, man, I don't know what he's doing with everybody else, but I've got a giant target on my back, and he is shooting arrows straight into me. Do you feel that? Amen. So why do we have trials? Why does the Lord allow that, and why does it happen? Uh, does this ever seem like you? Life seems unfair. You ever seem like life is unfair? Well, God, why does it seem like everybody else has it easy, and my life is so hard? Um, you wish you could change it, but you can't. Let me hit a few scenarios. Maybe you and your spouse have always wanted a child, and right now you're going through and you, you can't conceive. You've gone through everything to do, and you cannot seem to conceive, and it breaks your heart because you want nothing more than to have a child of your own. Listen, I don't know what your situation is. Sometimes God allows that to teach you things and to bring you to a point. There, uh, maybe you explore some. There's a child that needs to be adopted. Maybe there are other circumstances Julie and I went through three miscarriages so we we understand some of that and uh, we were just almost to the point of going the route of adoption when we got pregnant with Matthew and so you you have to understand sometimes and that's God's will what was his will for us would not is not necessarily the same will for everybody else all right uh, listen adoption is a wonderful wonderful thing and there are many young children that need to be adopted they need a good home they need a good Christian home amen and so what seems to be heartbreaking sometimes here's what I found sometimes the greatest pain in your life can later on turn around and become the greatest blessing in your life amen that adopted child, maybe your heart was broken because you found out you could not conceive your own child, but then you adopt this child, you bring it into your home, and it turns out to be the greatest blessing you've ever known. Amen. Sometimes God takes your greatest pain and makes a great blessing out of it. Amen. Isn't it wonderful the way the Lord does that? Uh, and I want to encourage that with you today. Maybe you are suffering, maybe you are struggling, and I want to encourage you to hold on because that pain may become your greatest blessing or even your greatest ministry. Maybe you struggled with alcohol, maybe you struggled with drugs, and I'm here to tell you, uh, somebody in your life one day is going to need to hear your story. And you say, well, why did I have to grow up in an alcoholic home? Or why did I have to grow up uh, in a, a home with drugs? And why did I have to struggle with that in my life? Why did God allow that into my life? Listen, your greatest pain and God bringing you out of that may be the story that somebody else needs to hear to have the courage to step out of it themselves. Amen. And so your greatest pain not only can become your biggest blessing, but it can become your greatest ministry to other people. Amen. Now, listen, I don't have all the answers. Uh, I've told y'all before, I'm not one of those preachers who wants to give you an idea like I know everything and I got all the answers. I'll be honest with you, I don't even know what half the questions are. Amen. And I need, you need to understand that some things I don't think we're ever meant to understand. Now, some people have to grow up in some terrible, terrible circumstances. Do you know that? You know, Miss Gail, we were talking this morning, Miss Gail works down at the, uh, the juvenile center. And she deals every day with kids that grow up in terrible, terrible environments. 
And then, uh, you know, Miss uh, Miss Sarah, she works uh, at CPS, Child Protective Services, and many times she sees things that are just the worst of conditions, and little innocent young children have to grow up in those things. I don't have an answer for why that happens and why some people have to grow up in that, and you, you can get, even get a guilt complex sometimes. Well, why did I get to grow up in a, a Christian home, and I was raised by godly parents, and I... Man, I had it easy, but yet this one over here had to grow up in some very, very challenging circumstances. I don't have all the answers for that. I can tell you this, though. I have seen where two kids grow up in a very, very bad home, in a very, very bad environment. And uh, we were talking about this this morning, but God gives each one a free will. And I've seen two sets of kids grow up in the same environment, same household, same terrible circumstances. And one, it motivates them and it challenges them to get stronger and they rise above their circumstances and they become a godly young man or a godly young woman. And they grow out of that and they say, you know what, I am determined to not let my life be like that. I am determined to not repeat these circumstances. But then you take the second child and they just give themselves over to it and they just say, I can't fight it. This is what I was destined to be. And so I'm just going to repeat the cycle. And they just end up in the same, and it's just this vicious cycle over and over again. So, listen, Rick, quite honestly, I, I can't give you the answer of why certain people have to grow up in certain things, but I do know one of two things. You can either let it encourage you and strengthen you to say, I am not going to repeat this cycle, or you can just give up, which is what the devil wants you to do, and just say, I'm just going to give up. You know, I, it's not even worth trying. And I'm just going to give myself over to it, and I'm just going to repeat the cycle. And some people say, you know what, um, you know, maybe they had a, a terrible father. And one child says, I'm determining in my heart I will be a different father than my father. I'm, it's going to motivate me to not be the same person. And then the other person, the other child says, you know what, that's what I am. And they just repeat that cycle. And then they become a terrible father. Amen. And then what does that do? The cycle just keeps repeating itself. And a terrible father becomes a terrible father to a terrible father. And it just keeps repeating over and over and over again. All right. Now I'm going to give you a little bit. We're going to be in 1 Peter today. In 1 Peter chapter 1, if you want to turn there. Let me give you a little bit, bit of background. Peter is speaking here to people who are suffering. Now, during Peter's time, he wrote this. Uh, he was writing this to the Christians in Rome, and the Christians were facing extreme persecution. There was a guy in charge at this time that Peter was writing this called Nero, N-E-R-O. And Nero was a terrible, terrible leader. Nero, let me tell you how bad Nero was. He killed his own mother. He had two wives, killed both of them. Uh, he, uh, he killed many, many Christians. Uh, he wanted to build buildings in Rome, and they didn't want him to, so he set Rome on fire and burnt the buildings down so that he could build the buildings he wanted to build. And he didn't care who it killed in the process. And then uh, they, the people started to revolt, and he said, well, I didn't start the fire, so what was the best thing? There was this group called the Christians, Little Christ's. And it was a, a movement that had just started. So Nero tells everybody, those Christians started the fire. So then the Christians become persecuted by everybody in Rome. And Nero used this to just make it even, uh, even more persecution. So then Nero would get the Christians and he would take them and do things like he would dip them in wax. Now I want you to take this picture. He would dip the Christians in wax up to their neck. And then he would tie them to a tree and he would light them on fire like a human candle. And then they would literally come and have 
like a bonfire, a party around that tree and watch that Christian burn to death slowly and party around that tree. And then they would do these things. You remember in the Colosseum where they would do the throw the Christians to the lions? Well, Nero was kind of the one who started this. And he would take the Christians and he would take a dead animal skin and he would put it on the Christian and then he'd kick that Christian out there into the Colosseum and let the lions go. And the people would watch and cheer as those Christians were just mauled to death and eaten alive. Do you think we really know what persecution is? <laughs> Folks, you live in the United States of America. You don't have any clue what persecution is. This, when, when Peter, I wanted to give you that picture because when we read what Peter's saying here, I want you to realize he wasn't talking about somebody calling you Holy Joe or he wasn't talking about somebody making fun of me at work. Somebody made fun of me at work because I'm a Christian. That is not persecution. These people were being killed, burned alive, eaten alive by wild animals. Amen? And Nero was doing it willingly. All right? So when you talk about persecution, this is real persecution, all right? Let's go to uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. It says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now, he uses the word pilgrims, all right? Go ahead and put that next uh, slide up, all right? And it goes like this. Uh, foreigners uh, is one translation, pilgrims. And the uh, Greek word is peripedimos, which means exiles, sojourners, aliens, strangers. So Peter starts off right here at the very beginning and says, you know why you're being persecuted? Because you are not of this kingdom. You are not of this world. You are of a godly kingdom, and you are of a godly world. You are of a heavenly kingdom, and you will never be welcome in this kingdom. If you're going to live for Christ, you will never be welcome in the worldly kingdom. Amen. You will always be persecuted. You will always be going against the grain. You will always be a salmon swimming upstream. Listen, if you fit in with culture, then your life is not different, then you are probably not living the Christian life you need to be living. Amen? If you're, you and I are living the Christian life we need to be living, we probably are always going to be in conflict with this present culture. Amen? We're going to always be in conflict with this present uh, tense and the things that are going on in this world. Why? Because we are not of this world. The things that we talk about, the world does not understand. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that things of the Spirit can only be discerned by those full of the Spirit. Amen? So if you're an unsaved individual, what do you not have? You don't have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You will always be in conflict because all of these unbelievers that you and I have to deal with every day, their spirit does not bear witness with our spirit. Now, you remember a few weeks ago, uh, actually uh, a couple weeks ago, I talked about spiritual warfare and the fact that uh, there's only two spirits that can control you. Now, you and I as saved individuals, we're controlled by the Holy Spirit. But guess what? If you are an unsaved individual, there are spirits oppressing you, possessing you, moving you, making you make decisions. And if those spirits are not of God, there's only one of the source they can be of, right? And that is the enemy, Satan and his demons, all right? And so they, they will never bear witness with your witness. Now, you've heard me say this many times. That's why you can go to work tomorrow or school tomorrow, and you can start talking about Jesus, and people get very, very uncomfortable. What is so uncomfortable, can I ask you, about Jesus? It's just a name. It's a word. Jesus. 
shouldn't be anything to it. You know, you could walk into work tomorrow and just say any word, you know. But there's something, it's, it's just a word, but yet the Bible says it's a very unique word, doesn't it? The Bible says that it is the name that God gave his son, and God even says it's the name above even my name. And it's the name that at the very name, every knee's going to bow and every tongue's going to confess. And it says that at that name, even the demons in hell shall tremble and flee. Amen? So there is power in that name. That's why you can say that one name, that one word, Jesus, and people start getting uncomfortable in the room. Now, if you're a saved individual who loves Jesus, doesn't make you uncomfortable at all. But guess what? If you are an unsaved individual who has another spirit hanging on to you, and somebody walks in and says, Jesus, that demon that's hanging on to you, it wants to leave the room. It wants to leave the room, and it can't get out of there quick enough. Amen? So you and I need to live as foreigners, pilgrims, sojourners, exiles, aliens, strangers, okay? All right, as followers of Jesus, we are not called to look like the rest of the world. We should have different values, different standards, and different goals. Can I get an amen? Should we be different? Yes, we should be different, all right? 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7 says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, here's the thing you've got to understand. When he talks about you're going through trials, he ain't talking about somebody making fun of you at work. Again, he's talking about somebody being burned alive, somebody being eaten alive. These are the kind of things they were facing a lot more than what you and I have to face every single day. So you have to have a genuine, he talks about the genuineness of your faith. Look at that in verse 7, that the genuineness of your faith, and that should be much more precious than gold, and it will be tested by fire. He doesn't say maybe, he says it will be, it is tested by fire. Do you believe that? Do you believe the word of God? It's either true or it's not. So it will be tested by fire. Now, I wanted to concentrate first on the genuineness of your faith because many people have a false faith, all right? So we're going to look at three types of false faith, all right? Number one is what I call uh, East Texas good old boy philosophy, amen? Inherited faith. Here's what good old boys in East Texas say. Well, you know, my daddy was a deacon. Well, that's, that's wonderful. That is wonderful. That has nothing to do with uh, your salvation. That has nothing to do with you're going to heaven or not. But I'm proud that your daddy was a deacon, all right? You know, my mama, my mama was a saint. Don't you say nothing bad about my mama. That woman was a saint, amen? That's wonderful. And, you know, my mama never missed church. My mama prayed. My mama was a praying mama, amen? That's wonderful. My mama prayed for me every single day. And I'm, I'm going to get in church one day. So she's praying for me every day. Amen. That's wonderful. you got to pray in mama. That's wonderful that your mama's a strong Christian. That's got nothing to do with you. you got no inherited faith. You will not be going to heaven on somebody else's coattails. Amen. You do not have an inherited faith. Well, you know, I was baptized as a baby. Well, you've got it backwards. Got bad news for you. Amen. The baptism in the Bible. Now, listen, I understand that. There's a lot of 
There's a lot of denominations. They baptize as a baby, and they kind of do it as a baby dedication. But I'm here to tell you, your baptism as a baby ain't going to do nothing for getting you into heaven. Amen? You just got sprinkled. All right? Because if you look in the Bible, you can't find a baby baptism. You can't find it. It's not in there. A biblical baptism happens two ways. And I also want to say this leading up to our baptism. If you got dunked somewhere along the line and then got saved later, you need to get redunked because you got it backwards. Amen? Because here's the, here's the order it was given. Repent. Repent. Turn away from. Confess your sin. Repent it. Turn away from it. And then be baptized. Amen? That's the proper order, all right? And there is no shame in it. I told y'all, I believe last week or week before last, that, you know, there was a two-year gap between my salvation and me getting baptized. And that's okay. There's no shame in it. It happens sometimes. Somebody drops the ball, nobody follows up. But I'm here to tell you, if you've been saved but never baptized, take care of it. Take care of it. We are going to do this out at the lake, or even if you can't make that one, uh, we're going to do some baptism here for some of the kids that come on Wednesday night that can't come on Sunday. So you need to nail that down and get it done. Do it in the right deal. Can I tell you this? My salvation two year, uh, my baptism two years after my salvation didn't make me any more saved, but you know what it did do? It made me more committed. It made me know that I had fulfilled, I had done the very first thing that the Lord had told me to do. The very first act of obedience is supposed to be be baptized. Repent, confess, repent, turn away from your sin, and then go be baptized. All right? It's the very first thing the Lord says, now that you've done that, you need to do this. And I'm, I'm going to be preaching on it later on, but it is your testimony. It's a way of testifying to the world. I am burying the old Mark Trammell, and I am coming up a new Mark Trammell, cleansed in the blood of the Lamb. Amen. So, yep, there you go. Amen. That's worth a clap. Amen. All right. So, uh, there will be no inherited faith. You won't get there on mama's, daddy's reputation. You won't get there on grandpa's reputation. You won't even get there on Landmark Baptist Church reputation. Well, you know, I I attended Landmark for a little bit. That's got nothing to do with nothing. Amen. When you stand before the Lord, it's going to be, what did you do with my son, Jesus Christ? That's the only question that's going to be asked, and it's not going to ask you, what did your mama do with Jesus? What did your daddy do with Jesus? What did your grandpa do with Jesus? It's going to be straight at you, looking you right in the eyeball, saying, no, 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 none of those others. What did you do with my son, Jesus? Amen. It is a personal decision that cannot happen through anybody else. You have to be saved because you decide you want to be saved. Amen. It is a personal decision and nobody else can make it for you. Number two, a shallow faith. Unfortunately, I believe there's a whole lot of Christians, churches are full of people with this. And I go back to this story, the parable of the sower. The sower sows the seeds, if you remember, and it takes root. But what happens when it takes root? It's bad soil. Remember that? And it says that the worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire of things are like weeds, and it chokes out your faith. Amen? So if you have a shallow faith, that's why people come in here, and God bless you, I love you, and I know there's a core here that in a year, if the Lord hadn't taken you home, you're going to be right here. But I'm here to tell you, here's the reality of it too. I've been doing this a long time. I'm looking all of you right in the eyeball, knowing that a year from now, some of y'all ain't going to be here. 
Some of you will have just said, no, that's too hard. Or other things happen, got a new job, got to work, got to do things. Sorry, Lord, got to put it on the back burner. And sometimes people go through that for a season. Sometimes people walk away and never come back. It's a shallow faith. It is a shallow faith. And I've been doing this long enough to know. Uh, it's sad for me to say, but a year from now, some of you won't be here, and you won't be anywhere near the church house. Don't let the devil steal, kill, and destroy. Part of the way he steal, kills, and destroy is he distracts us. He moves us away with other things. You notice what that says? That scripture, I've said the worries. Anybody here got any worries? Anybody here lived through this last this thing called the pandemic? Anybody here got any anxiety? Anybody here worried about what tomorrow's going to be like? Anybody here worried about what the future's going to be like? Anybody here worried about what the economy's going to be like? Anybody? Yes, worry, 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 worry. And if you're not careful, you can let the worry choke you out. And it can take your faith and it can choke it out. What do weeds do? Weeds kill the main plant. Amen. And so you've got to understand that I cannot let the devil win. That's why he says, cast all your cares upon me, for my burden is easy and my yoke is light. Amen. The Lord can handle it. You can't handle it. Am I just being honest? I'm looking at myself. Mark, you can't handle it. But you know who can? The Lord can. Cast all your cares on him, for my, bur my burden is easy and my yoke is light. Amen. Amen. All right. Shallow faith. Don't have a shallow faith. Number three. Conditional faith. This is a bad one, too. And I think there's a lot of people with this. And this is why some of you won't be here in a year. Well, I'll believe and I'll serve as long as things go my way. Now, the first time God don't let things go my way, I got no use for you. Amen. I'm here to get everything I can get out of God. Amen. I'm here because I believe God is the giant gumball machine. Amen. Or the claw. You ever play the, you ever go in the arcade, you got the claw game where the claw pulls the prizes out of there? Sometimes that's what we want to think God is. God's the claw, and if God really loves me, then he'll let me get my prize, and I'll get to take it home. But if the claw drops it, oh, God, I thought you were a good God. I thought you were a good father. You know what? I got no use for you. If you ain't going to give me what I want, then I ain't going to give you what you want, and that's me. So I'm going to walk away. I don't need God if I still have to suffer. I can suffer on my own. So if God's not going to let me bypass all the suffering, then I got no need for him. It's a conditional faith. As long as God is doing things my way, then I'll serve you. But the minute things don't go my way or I don't like the way you're doing it, God, then I'm gone. Amen? Conditional faith. All right? Uh, so let's look at this. Two things. How does God use your persecution? How does God use your trials? I want to give you these, and I want to encourage you with these. Number one, trials reveal your faith. You need trials in your life. Can I ask you this? When your children, um, and I know many homes are like this, if you give your children in their rooms a full media setup, and they've got a full 70-inch flat screen in the room. They've got a gigantic stereo. They've got, um, uh, boy, I've been out of the game too long. 
uh, what are they now? PlayStation, that's still one. Uh, PlayStation 5, we're up to 5 now. Uh, you, they got a PlayStation 5 in there. They got the newest, what's the Xbox now? Is there still an Xbox? Not sure about it. Come on, Mark, you're supposed to keep up with these things. You're a youth guy, amen? Uh, the Xbox, you know, they got all those things in your room. And how do we punish kids now? Go to your room. Well, my Lord, there's more entertainment in that room than there is in the living room, amen? You're not really punishing anywhere. In order for punishment to be punishment, there has to be some kind of cost, amen? And so you and I, we need that cost in our life. Trials reveal your faith. When Peter said that your faith needs to be tested and refined by the fire, this is what he meant, that there will be some things that you go through, and it's going to show if you got something, if you really got something. Because many of you, you think you got something, but the minute that things get rough, you just want to leave. It's the way people get married these days. People get married these days, and it is very conditional. You notice that? Some people get married, and it's like they're just waiting for the first fight. Because, you know, I'm going to be married to you, I'm committed to you, until you say something I don't like. Until we disagree, or you make me mad. And if you make me mad enough, I'm out of here. I'm going to bail. First sign of trouble, I'm bailing. Amen? You ain't going to stay married very long, are you? Amen? That's the way people approach marriage these days, and that's why divorce rates just keep skyrocketing. Amen? And many people approach their walk with God in the exact same way. God, I'm going to walk with you until you make me mad. And then I'm going to do my own thing. Then maybe I'll come back a little while later, see how you do again, but the minute you make me mad again. So it's very, very conditional. You need trials to reveal your faith. Uh, look at the first scripture, 1 Peter 1, 7. says this, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, we, we read that, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32 says, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon. Now, who's Simon? No. Who is Simon? What was his other name? Peter, the guy writing what we're reading. All right, the guy writing the book we're reading. Now, this is in Peter's earlier life. And you remember this story? The Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Verse 32, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Now, let me tell you about Peter. Because Peter in his younger days, you remember the Peter that we read about in the Gospels? The guy that cut the guard's ear off of the Garden of Gethsemane. And the one that denied Jesus three times at the fire. And he even had to curse to make his point to the little girl. Because the little girl said, no, I know this one. He was with Jesus. And he had to curse just to make it really convincing. And he denies Jesus three times when Jesus is at the cross. This is the younger Peter. In the early years, Peter was obnoxious. Surely no Christians here are obnoxious. Peter was impulsive, just flew off the handle. Anybody? Yeah, amen, all right. Um, he was cocky, thought he knew it all. Hello, Amen. I know a few Christians like that, but he was also very inconsistent. He would be standing willing to die with the Lord one minute, and then the next minute he's over there denying he even knows him. He was young, he was brash, and he was full of himself, and he didn't have any maturity. Then what happened to Peter? Peter becomes, what does he become? You remember later on, Jesus comes to him and he asks him three times, do you love me? Because he had denied him three times. And 
Peter finally says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And what does the Lord say to him? Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church. So you know what happened to that brash, cocky, impulsive, inconsistent young guy? He becomes faithful, devoted, patient, bold in his witness. And then later on at the end of his life, he's willing to die for Jesus as a martyr. Amen. So the young, brash, uh, immature kid becomes a strong, bold Christian. The rock upon the church was built. Amen. All right. Uh, let's look at another scripture. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. It says, As my brethren counted all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing all right so trials reveal your faith number one number two is this trials draw you closer to God all right first Peter chapter 1 verses 8 and 9 says this whom having not seen you love though now you do not see him yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory receiving the end of your faith the salvation of your souls all right Man, listen, do you know when you grow the most as a Christian? I wish I could tell you it's in the happy times. When everything's going your way, when you're on the spiritual mountaintop, look at me, look at me over here. When you reach the mountaintop and you're on the mountaintop of the Lord, I would like to tell you that's when you grow the most. That's a lie. Do you know when you grow the most? When the valley, when you're at the lowest point in your life. I wish it were not true. I wish it were the other way around. But God has to keep us humbled many times and keep us in check and keep us on our knees. Sometimes he has to drive. And I'm speaking to myself here. A lot of times the Lord knows, Mark, you need to be driven to your knees. Mark, you and I need some time together. And the best way you and I are going to have some time together is I've got to drive you to your knees. That's when I grow the most is in the trials and in the temptations, all right? Listen, uh, put, that, put this saying up there. I love this. Take a picture of this or write it down. We talk about the good news all the time. Here's what the good news is. The good news isn't that God saves you from your trials. He never promised that. He never promised you that he was going to make life easy for you. He never promised you that everything was going to be joyful. He never promised you that you would always prosper. He never promised you that everything you touched would succeed. He never promised you any of those things. Amen. And the good news we talk about is not about God giving you everything you want. We're selfish. Can we just admit that? We are selfish individuals. And what we really want is for God to give us everything we want exactly the way we want at the time we want. And when God doesn't do it, we get mad. But the good news has never been about God giving you everything you want. The good news has never been about God saving you from your trials. The good news of the gospel is that God saved you from your sins. Amen? That's all he promised you. He promised you, I have given my son, and guess what? It cost my son dearly. Do you think it was easy for Jesus to be scourged and whipped and beaten beyond recognition and to suffer on that cross and die the most horrible death that he could die? No, it cost him something. And your salvation, it should cost us something. Amen? The good news is that God saved you from your sins, but he never said it was going to be easy. 
everything worth dying for is going to cost you something. Here on Memorial Day, it could not be more appropriate. Your freedom of sitting in this room right now, worshiping the God that you want to, is not free. Somebody died. Many, many men and women had to die for your freedom to be in this room today. Amen? And I think that's as appropriate as I can make it. Amen? Freedom is not free. Your salvation was not free. And I can guarantee you, living for the Lord is not free. It should cost us something. It should cost us something. And we should, as Christians devoted to the Lord, be more than willing to give it. Lord, if i got to suffer a little bit for you to get the glory, then so be it. Now, that's not easy to say, is it? Because, again, we're selfish. I like easy. Look at me. I like easy. Ask my wife. I like easy. Amen? I don't like when the work gets hard. I don't like when things are difficult. I like easy. But I'm here to tell you, life is not always easy. In fact, most of the time it's not easy. All right? The good news, God saved you from your sins. Give him everything he deserves. Give him everything he deserves. He deserves your time. He deserves your devotion. He deserves your commitment. Amen? He deserves everything. I'm going to ask Julie to come. You know, we say the thing sometimes, God will never give you more than you can handle. And that's really not a true statement. Here's the truth of the statement. God will never give you more than he can handle. Sometimes he will push you to your limits. Anybody here ever been there? You ever been pushed to your limit and think, God, why? God, I can't take any more. And God, I can't handle any more. You ever been pushed to your limits? So I don't think it's a true statement that God will not give you more than you can handle. Sometimes he will give you more than you can handle, but that's when you've got to give it to him and say, God, I can't handle this, but I'm going to have to give it to you because I know that you can handle it. If you would, bow your head and close your eyes if you would. Maybe you're here today and you say, Mark, man, I am not where I need to be. My life is not where it needs to be. I'm just going to ask you, if that's you, if you're not sure where you spiritually stand with the Lord today, just pray this prayer. He's always waiting with his arms wide open. Just say, Dear Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. And Lord, I need you. And right now, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I give my heart and my life to you. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And I ask you right now to save me from myself. Every head bowed, every eye closed, I wouldn't want to embarrass you, but if you prayed that prayer today for the first time or the second time or the hundredth time as a recommitment, would you just lift up a hand so I could pray for you? Thank you, thank you. Now we're going to have an invitation in just a second. If you raise your hand, I'd like you to come down and just make that public. Brother Martin's going to be over here on this side. I'm going to be on this side. If you just need to come to the altar and pray today, if you need to come and maybe say, you know what, I need to be baptized on the 27th, whatever your decision is today, maybe you just need to come and say, Mark, I need to do better. I need to do better in my life for the Lord. And I need to quit whining about my trials. And I just need to suck it up and live for the Lord and give him my devotion and my commitment. Whatever your need. Father, have your will and your way during this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand. If you need to come and pray, the altar's open. You can come see Brother Martin or myself, all right?
Let's all sing that first verse. I hope that you have a wonderful Memorial Day weekend. Uh, I'm going to encourage you, as always do, uh, have fun, but don't be stupid, all right? Amen. Uh, get out there, have a good time, uh, but don't catch nothing on fire or do anything stupid like that. Amen. God bless you. I hope you all have a great weekend, and I will see you next Sunday.